0: Uh, My name is Gary Anderson. I serve as the pastor here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny Wyatt. I want to welcome you to church. I am so glad that you are here. It is a joy to be together in God's house this morning. Uh, Before we get into the text, I just want to um, spend a moment in prayer. I want to acknowledge, while we are here singing joyful songs uh, uh, this morning, there are huge parts of our community that are grieving this morning. And there are, in particular, there are several families who um, have lost people they loved because of the weather last night. And uh, I want to be a people that is able to grieve with others who are grieving. I don't want us just to be okay because we're okay. And so I wanna acknowledge uh, that our community is hurting this morning and I wanna lift it up to God in prayer. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time and we thank you um, for this opportunity to gather in your house. And God, we thank you that... Uh, As far as I know, everyone here um, is safe and and for the most part healthy or at least healthy enough to get here, God. But that's not true for everyone in our Nashville community this morning. And so we want to lift them up to you, God. Um, We pray that you would do what the living God can do. I pray that you would bring comfort where comfort is needed. Um, God, there are many people who um, not only lost potentially people that they love, but lost their homes and their businesses. Um, And I pray, God, that you would allow us to not be a people who are just good when we're good. Uh, Help us to um, have eyes to see those who are hurting around us. And so to that end, God, I pray um, for the community of your churches here in Nashville who call on the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would empower us to, to rise up and serve in ways that you would have us serve. I pray that you would provide for the needs of people who are in need this morning. And God, we recognize that the primary way you provide for your children's needs is through the generosity of your other children. And so I pray that you would help us to see where there is need and meet it. Um, And we just ask that you would comfort those who are mourning this morning, um, and that you would um, fill this place, fill this town with your presence. And God, maybe in some unforeseeable way that you might use this to turn hearts towards you. Uh, We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, All right, we are continuing in our Advent series this morning. And so uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter one. Uh, we're going to start in verse 26. Luke 1, 26, and I'm going to read through verse 38. Uh, and as, you are, as I'm giving you a minute to get there in your Bibles or pull it up on your device, uh, I just want to extend a special welcome if you are new or visiting this morning. We know it is usually not a super fun thing to visit a new church. And so I, I hope and pray that you will find us to be a really welcoming, really loving community where you will uh, encounter the living God. We are really glad that you are here. All right, Uh, today's text, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. This is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, "'Greetings, and the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, just a few months from now, millions of late teen teenagers will every day rush out to the mailbox with great anticipation for what might have arrived that day. Actually, that's the way it was when I was 18. I think now it's mostly emails. So they will, with great anticipation, rush home from school every day and log into their Gmail, in my case, Hotmail account. Come on, come at me. Yep. I know there's a few of you out there. Some of you might be on AOL. I mean, that's, that's even, come on, here we go. Uh, and the reason they will, they will rush to their mailbox or rush to their email inbox with such um, emphasis is because they are going to look and find out whether or not they have been accepted. Now, for some students, to be accepted anywhere is a huge win and potentially a a life-changing set of circumstances to actually uh, be able to go to college. But there is a small subset of students in this country who are aiming a little bit higher than the schools that let most people in. There are some students who will be aiming at a school or a family of schools that is actually very selective. They are aiming at a family of schools where a 4.0 and a 1,400 on the SATs and a 33 on the ACTs is just the baseline to compete. They will be applying to a family of schools we know as the military academies. They are some of the most selective and prestigious institutions of higher education, not only in this country, but in the whole world. To get into one of the U.S. military academies takes not just uh, an application with some essays and some biographical data. It requires a recommendation from a member of Congress. I don't know about you, but I don't hang out with people who are in Congress, so that's a little bit of a challenge. It will require a physical and a mental exam. It may also require a physical fitness test. Out of every 10 students who apply to one of the U.S. military academies, nine will not have the opportunity to go to one of those schools. To come home in the spring of your senior year and find a letter or an email from Annapolis or West Point or wherever else they are, Colorado Springs, saying you have been accepted would be, for most people, the greatest achievement of their young life but it is a mixed bag because to be accepted to one of the US military academies is not only one of the greatest honors of your life, it is also an invitation to suffer. Because if you go to one of the US military academies, while most of your friends who are going to college are having their restrictions eased, you are having more restrictions placed on you. When they are out partying at night, you're gonna be held to a curfew when they're sleeping till noon, I was gonna say on a Saturday, but probably Wednesday too. <laughs> to keep keeping it real. You're gonna be up at five for PT. When they go to their first job out of college, they're probably gonna go to a cubicle where you may be actually be going to a war zone. To be accepted into one of the US military academies is, is a great paradox of incredible honor, but it is also an invitation to suffer and I don't get to write the acceptance letters for our US Military Academies, but if I did, this is how I would start it. Congratulations, now comes the hard part, which is actually a really insightful picture as to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because just like there are a bunch of seniors in high school right now who have a deep longing and desire to be told that they are good enough, that they are smart enough, and that they have been accepted. Every single one of us in this room has a deep longing and desire inside of us to feel the same thing. We all have a deep desire to feel like we are good enough, that we are smart enough, that we are loved, and that we are accepted. And here's the good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are, every single one of you, right where you are at today, you are loved, you are seen, and you are accepted. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God sees you as you are, He loves you as you are, He accepts you as you are, and He saves you as you are. But He does not leave you as you are. And so, one of the things we, I think, do a really good job of in church, and this is not just Midtown Fellowship Granny White, this is the church at large, is talking about how amazing and how wonderful it is that Jesus is our Savior where a lot of us get hung up, and this is myself included, is when we actually get down to talking about the fact that he's also our Lord. A lot of us really happy to have Jesus as savior, loved as we are, accepted as we are, everything working for our good. I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, like we up in church, we can be like, amen, hallelujah, glory. Jesus as my savior. It's a little bit harder when we come to Jesus as my Lord. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means that we are not. And it's really easy on a Sunday morning with good worship and we're all dressed up and look nice and we know our scriptures to come in and talk about what it means to die to ourselves. But to actually go out and do that the other six and a half days of the week is actually really, really challenging. When we are invited, when we are called by God to join his community, to join his family, it is the honor of a lifetime. But it is also an invitation to suffer. Congratulations. Now comes the hard part. And that is exactly what we see in the text that we are looking at today. So we are in our I think third week of our advent series. We are we are making a a beeline for Christmas Eve, which is only 2 weeks away. Isn't that awesome? Uh, where we are going to celebrate that the light has broken into the darkness. And what I love about how Advent has happened this year is it has come on the heels of our fall series, which was in Revelation. And the last sermon in Revelation, from the last chapter of Revelation, from the last few verses of Revelation, what does Jesus tell us in the, the last two verses of the Bible? Behold, I am coming soon. And then we rolled from that right into Advent. And Advent simply means arrival, and when we, uh, when we celebrate Advent, what we are doing is two things. In one way, we are looking back and celebrating the fact that Jesus Advented once and did something that we could have never done, came, died for our sins, rose again, returned to the Father, allowed us to have the relationship with God that he always intended. But we don't only remember that during Advent. Part of what we celebrate during Advent is the fact that because Jesus Advented once, we have all kinds of hope that he's going to Advent again. Behold, I am coming soon again. And as we come to this text, uh, as we come to this really familiar story uh, for most of us of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and uh, telling her that she is going to bear the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, inside of her womb, here's what I really wanna try and do this morning. I wanna do our best to scrub the shine off of this story. See, uh, we have been um, inundated for most of our lives with the commercialization of the Christmas story. And I know it's like a really kind of stereotypical pastor thing to come in at Christmas and be like, oh, the world does it wrong and we're gonna push it out. And that's, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I'm doing, but I'm gonna do it gentler than that. Uh, But we, most of us, have a really kind of hallmark, lifetime movie understanding of the Christmas story. And that is not what we get in the scriptures. And so what I really wanna try and do today is push out the commercialized version of the Christmas story and actually look at the version that God gives us in his word. And the first thing we need to see before we even really dive into the text is this. Most of us see the story that I just read out of Luke 1, 26 through 38 as an announcement to Mary. Just like last week, Zechariah got an announcement. We see this as God has given Mary a heads up about what is about to happen. But when you study this passage, what, what you uh, learn is that the way, the manner in which Gabriel speaks to Mary and the things that he says are extremely reminiscent to the point that we don't believe it's an accident of the way that God called prophets in the Old Testament. So uh, the call of Moses in Exodus 3, the call of Gideon in Judges 6, The call of Jeremiah and Jeremiah 1, they all have extremely close parallels to what is happening for Mary here. And so here's what I want us to understand as we come to this text. This is not a birth announcement. This is a call on Mary's life. The title of this sermon is The Call of Mary. And here's the deal. We've talked about this. I think we talked about it in Revelation. Nobody wanted to be called as a prophet in the Old Testament, To be called into the role of prophet in the Old Testament was to be called into a life of ridicule, frustration, disappointment, and suffering. And we're not gonna see actually anything is really different for the call of Mary. I think it's why in whatever verse it is, uh, I just thought about this while I was reading it earlier, it says she was greatly troubled when Gabriel showed up because she recognizes this is not like a, hey, quick announcement, just wanna give you a heads up on what's coming. Uh, She recognizes that this is a call on her life that's going to change everything. So uh, there are three things that I want us to uh, mine out of these verses uh, in the time that we have left today. And, and this is the first thing. God calls unlikely people. God calls unlikely people. So as we enter back into this uh, story, meet me in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which we just, uh, a few verses ahead of that, behind that, that we talked about last week. The angel Gabriel same angel that showed up to Zechariah in the temple, uh, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, we just need to, we need to pause right there. Do you notice how Luke qualifies Nazareth? He, says, he has to give some context. He says, a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Why does he have to do that? Because nobody, even in ancient Israel, knew what Nazareth was or where it was until Luke told them it was a city of Galilee. It was such an obscure place, such an obscure city. Like that's kind of lost on us because we know about Jesus of Nazareth. That was not the case in first century Palestine. People didn't even know where it was. So Luke's readers had to have some context for where is Nazareth? Oh, it's in northern Israel in the, in the region of Galilee. Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned one other place in the New Testament in John chapter one, which we'll circle back to you in just a moment. Uh, it is 200 years after the birth of Christ before the city of Nazareth shows up in, up in any extra biblical literature. It was a tiny, unknown, backwater town that even people who lived at the time didn't even know what it was or where it was. Contrast that with where Gabriel just showed up last time in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the holy place. Big crowd outside. Shows up to a priest doing the priestly duties. Here he comes to a a, a woman in some backwater town that nobody's heard of. Okay, so Nazareth, verse twenty seven. Gabriel shows up to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Okay, we need to hang out with this too. So the way that marriage worked in ancient Israel is uh, they had a thing like our engagement, but they called it betrothal. I mean, that's, they didn't call it that. They, they, that's English. They used a different word for it. But it's like engagement, but it is, uh, it's more binding. So you needed a divorce actually to, to break a betrothal. And here's what, we, here's what I really want you to, to see in this. Uh, Most scholars believe most women, and I use that term uh, very generously in this moment, were betrothed somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14. This is not 28-year-old Mary who's gone to grad school and bought her own car and has her own place. And (laughs) I I have a 14-year-old daughter. This is horrifying for me. This This is at best a very early teenager, possibly a preteen. So here, is, here has God sent his, his, his angel Gabriel to some backwater town that nobody has ever heard of to a 12 or 13 or 14-year-old girl that nobody knows about. If you or I, well, I don't wanna be presumptuous. If I was writing the story of salvation, this is not how I would write it. If I was going to pick who's going to carry the savior of the world in her womb, it would not, I would not have written it like this. But it is a really clear message that God is sending us through this story. He calls unlikely people. And don't miss this. In verse 28, what does Gabriel say to her? And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. And then verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It says it twice. The root, the Greek root of that word favor is the same uh, as the word for grace. So, so the angel comes to, to Mary and says, you have found favor with God. Not you're full of grace, but you have received grace. And what is the, just the basic definition of grace? Getting something you don't deserve. So just see her just really clearly right up front. There's nothing Mary has done. There's no goodness in her. There's nothing special about her. She hasn't done anything to merit or earn this. It is all God's grace. And we see that in just the nature of what we understand her life circumstance to be. She is maybe the unlikeliest of candidates to be the one whom God chooses to carry the Savior in her womb. Unless we think it's a one-off, that is how God works through all of scripture. God constantly is calling unlikely people to himself. Abraham, father of the nation of Israel, was an idol worshiper had, and knew nothing of God, did nothing to deserve God's favor. And God calls him and says, I am going to make a great nation out of you, makes a covenant with him that's gonna go on to er- all every generation. Uh, his, Jacob, Jacob was a lying cheater. And God was like, I can use you to build the the family that I am going to change the world through. Moses was a lying murderer who was terrified of everything. And God is like, I'm gonna use you to liberate my people from the most powerful country on earth at the time. The disciples were a ragtag group of social outcasts, misfits, and, and fishermen, and God set the world on fire. Through those 11 men. The Apostle Paul, he was the modern day equivalent or the ancient day equivalent of an ISIS terrorist, literally, killing people for their religious beliefs. And God got a hold of his life, the unlikeliest of candidates, and he became the greatest church planter and missionary the Church of Jesus Christ has ever seen. God calls unlikely people. And that would be a moment where maybe we should just stop for a minute and praise him because we are all Mary. We are all Marys. Now, listen, there are some of you in this room this morning who, if you came up here and told your life story and then talked about how God got a hold of you, there there, there wouldn't be a dry eye in the room and jaws would be on the floor because of where you were to where you have come from. And so this idea that God calls unlikely people, it's like, yeah, that that comports with my experience. There's a bunch of us in here this morning, though, who like, we've been in church since before we were born. Uh, We have won more sword drills than anybody else in this room. We know all the hand motions to Father Abraham. Uh, We tithe over 10%. Thank you. We, We love that and we're grateful for it. But I just need to remind all of us this morning that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And no matter what your personal moral Carfax looks like, We are all undeserving of God's favor. We are all undeserving of God's kindness. We are all undeserving of his grace. We are all unlikely candidates to be invited or accepted by God into his family. God calls unlikely people. And can we just praise him for that? Now, here's where it it gets a little bit awkward. Congratulations. Now comes the hard part. Because God calls unlikely people. But the second thing I want us to see in this passage is that God calls unlikely people to do hard things. God calls unlikely people to do hard things. And sometimes they're really hard things. And this is where I wanna do our best to kind of scrub the shine off of this story. Because uh, let's just continue marching through it and see what we learn. Verse 31, pick me up there. Gabriel says to Mary, You found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, if I'm Mary in this moment, I'm thinking at this point, like, that's pretty great news. As we talked about last week, uh, to have children at that time was seen as a sign of God's blessing. Uh, It was one of the highest goals. And so she's probably like, I always wanted to be a mom. I'm getting in, you know, I'm engaged to Joseph. I I know he wants to be a dad. Uh, Jesus was a very common name at the time. So there's nothing like like outside the box for that. If I'm Mary in this moment, I'm like, this is fantastic news. Thank you very much. I, I will take it. But then let's continue on verse 32. Gabriel says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, if I'm Mary, I'm like, well, that probably is a little bit different than what I was thinking was going to happen. We don't have time to dig into what all of those illusions are, but she would have recognized pretty quickly there is something different about this child. There's going to be something unique about this child. And we suspect she is suspecting something is up because of what she asks in the next question. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And then verse 35, uh, her fears are or her concerns are confirmed, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So Mary's like, I'm not sure, this, this doesn't sound like maybe Joseph is gonna be a part of this. And the angel is like, yep, you're exactly right, Joseph is not gonna be a part of this. Now, this is where we need to do our best to kind of remove our cultural understanding of the story and enter into um, what this means for her. So uh, to be an unwed single mom was almost unheard of at that time. They got married way too young. There was no birth control. This was a shame and honor culture. And to to bring that kind of shame on yourself and your family was such a deterrent. It was virtually unheard of for a woman to get pregnant outside of marriage. Not only that, Mary in this moment is probably thinking to herself, Joseph may divorce me when he finds out about this, which Matthew tells us he wanted to until God intervened. And not only that, if she knew the Old Testament law well, the Mosaic law well, the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament was capital punishment. If you know John chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery, they bring her to Jesus because they're gonna kill her. So she's also probably thinking in this moment, I, my life might be in danger because of this news. At the very minimum, uh, this is a small town, People, people talk. This is not going to be able to be hidden. I would say not a stretch to say virtually every expectation and hope of what her life might look like sometime down the road, how her life might go is shattered in this moment when the angel Gabriel tells her, you are going to become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not like Hail Mary full of grace. What an amazing, this is Like, imagine the dissonance in her head where it's like, this feels like God is calling me to do something that literally goes against his moral code and and what he has taught us, what we have had for 1,500 years as the right way to do life. How do I make sense of this? If I'm Mary in this moment, here's what I'm thinking. This is what it means to be favored by God. This is what it means to be highly favored by God. Because God calls unlikely people and he calls them to do hard things, which is exactly what he is calling Mary to do in this story. God calls us to hard things. Um, uh, Teresa of Avila was a Spanish nun in the 1500s. She was what's known as a mystic. Uh, She wrote a lot, she was a spiritual leader, Uh, was involved in spiritual reform in Spain. She traveled a lot. And uh, we have a story that has come down from her. Uh, It was a lot harder to travel 500 years ago than it is now. Uh, Maybe that's overstating the obvious. But she was on one particular trip and everything was going wrong. Uh, You know, like if it could go wrong, it went wrong. And then she got sick on this trip and she, she came down with a fever and then they came unexpectedly to a river that they needed to cross. And so she's sick with a fever. She's standing at the edge of this river that she's gonna have to now get, walk across, walk through. And she, she just cries out to God. She says, God, on top of everything else, now this. That's a paraphrase. Uh, and she says, she heard back from God, this is how I treat my friends. And she says, she responded to God, Lord, that is why you have so few of them. And it's funny, and it's true, because God calls unlikely people, but he calls them to do hard things. It is the honor of our lifetime to be called, seen, known, and accepted by God. Congratulations. Now comes the hard part, because when we bow our knee to Jesus, well, when we accept Jesus as Savior, the Bible knows nothing of accepting Him as Savior without accepting Him, without bowing our knee to Him as Lord. And if we are going to bow our knee to Him as Lord, that is what we talk about when we talk about the cost of discipleship, because it means that we are no longer on the throne of our lives. It means that we are no longer necessarily in the driver's seat of our lives. It means we have been called to something bigger than ourselves, to a mission greater than ourselves. And I'm not sure I know of a a story from someone who was called into a mission for God, and that mission was easy, comfortable, secure, and they're able to do it right in the place that they've always been. God calls unlikely people, and that is amazing. But what we have to keep at the front of our minds, what we must understand, because it's what Mary's story teaches us, is that when he calls us, he calls us to do hard things. And so I wanna encourage someone this morning Not every hard thing in your life is from Satan. There are are some of you who are walking through some hard things this morning. There are some of you who are facing some some really hard life circumstances this morning. Our community is facing some really hard circumstances this morning. And some of that is from the enemy. Some of that is from Satan. And some of that we need to pray that God will get out of our lives. But we also have, our theology has to allow that there will be hard things that God calls us to, and it is part of his plan for our lives. The hard thing you are walking through this morning might just be God's gracious hand in your life smoothing out rough edges that you didn't even know were rough. And that is not to say that we should just like, hey, thanks, I love when life is miserable and hard. God, you're so good. Like you can still lean into that and you can still cry out to him. Just read the Psalms. How long, O Lord? But God gave Mary the greatest honor of her life. And it was also the hardest thing she ever had to do. And just like, so we know, that, again, the context, uh, it's not like from here on out, it, got, it, it went sunshine and roses for Mary, right? Like Mary, Mary spent her adulthood telling people like, oh, and what does your son do? Well, he's homeless and he preaches, I think. Uh, we think that Joseph died early. Uh, we know that Jesus was called an illegitimate child for his whole life. Even as an adult, the Pharisees are like, "We know who our father is, but who's your father?" And then she watched her son die on a cross. God calls unlikely people, but He calls them to hard things. And now here's here's the good here's the good part. Let's let's finish let's finish on a high note. God calls unlikely people to hard things, and I, I tried. For those of you who are taking notes, I apologize. I tried to make this a really short and concise point, I couldn't figure it out. He gives them the power to do what he's called them to do. God empowers those he has called to do what he has called them to do. How does the angel tell Mary this is going to happen? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Does that remind you of anything power uh, overshadowing? It reminds me of how God manifested his presence in the Old Testament in a glory cloud. How did God lead the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years? By a cloud. He surrounded them with the cloud of his power. When When Solomon finished the temple and they dedicated it, what does the scripture say? The temple was filled with a cloud so that those who were ministering couldn't even see. It was the presence of God. And just as God in the Old Testament surrounded his people, overshadowed his people with his presence and his power, the angel Gabriel promises Mary that the exact same thing is gonna happen for her. Yeah, Mary, you are being called to a hard thing, but you need to know that you have Emmanuel. Mary had Emmanuel before Jesus was even in her womb because she had the power of the Holy Spirit inside of her and the power of God surrounding her, such that what? Skip ahead with me to verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. What is Gabriel telling her? Yeah, you are being called to a hard, gritty, uncomfortable, confusing thing, but you are going to have God's power inside of you and God's power surrounding you, and nothing is impossible with God. God calls us to hard things, but he does not call us to do it alone. He fills us with his power such that nothing is impossible for him. And we have evidence that that was true for Mary right here in the text, because what is Mary's response in verse 38? Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Literal translation is I am the slave of the Lord. That's lost on us because of our cultural, uh, because of what we understand slavery culturally. But I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Contrast that, please, with Zechariah's response last week, okay? 65 or whatever year old priest, Zechariah in the temple. Gabriel shows up, says your wife's going to have a child. What does Zechariah say in response? Prove it. Gabriel shows up to a 13-year-old girl in some no-name town in the middle of nowhere and says, you are going to carry the savior of the world in your womb. And what is her response? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. One scholar says that is the greatest declaration of faith in the entire Bible. Did she say that in her own power? Did she say that just because she'd been trained so well and discipled so well and she was such a remarkable person? Not a chance. How does she respond like that? Because she's got the Holy Spirit inside of her and she's got God's power surrounding her and nothing will be impossible with God. I, I know I'm going in too hard on the Lord of the Rings stuff, okay? And I'm afraid, that, yeah, thank you. For some people, it's not enough, right? Uh, my fear is that you're going to think like, I'm some crazy Lord of the Rings guy, and I'm really not. It's just that Tolkien believed the same stuff we did, and so there's so many beautiful pictures in his stories of what the truths are that we are looking at in Scripture. And this one is, you don't even have to have read the books. You, this is a movie one, okay? So, so I think it's in the, I know it's in, it's in the first one. I think they're in Rivendell, whatever, the, uh, the elf place, and it's the Council of all the leaders from men and the elves and the dwarves and the hobbits, and they're figuring out that they gotta destroy the ring. And they realize that the only way that the ring can be destroyed is in the fires of Mount Doom in Mordor. They gotta go to, the, they gotta go to hell itself to destroy the ring. And when that realization falls upon that group of, I was gonna say men, but it's not there, people and creatures and all the good guys, that meeting descends into chaos they're yelling at each other and they're arguing with each other. And in the movie version, the the camera trains in on Frodo and and all the yelling starts to get quieter and quieter. And you can just see the gears turning in his head. It's just a a great cinematic moment. And he is the most unlikely candidate of anyone in Middle-earth to be the one to go on this great adventure to destroy the ring in Mount Doom. And it all gets quiet, and then he, you, can, you can see the gears turning in his head, and you can see he makes a decision. And you know what he says? I don't remember exactly, I'm, I'm doing this off memory. Essentially, he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take the ring to Mordor. The unlikeliest candidate called to do an impossibly hard thing. But does he go alone? No, it's the fellowship. It's the fellowship of the ring, and so he doesn't go alone. He's got Gandalf, and he's got Strider, and Faramir, and Legolas, and Gimli. I can't believe all these names are coming to me in this moment, (laughs) and uh, Samwise, and Merry, and Pippin, and even when they get separated, even when it feels like they are not around, they are still helping him. They are still working for him. And listen to me, church. God has called some of you to do some really hard things, but he has not called you to do it alone. You have the fellowship of the Trinity with you. You have the Holy Spirit. If you have have been called by God into his family, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus as as Savior and Lord, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you have the power of God surrounding you such that nothing will be impossible for you. This is not a Tony Robbins, uh, like, power of positive thinking. We're going to go walk on hot coals after this. This is the truth of God. You are not called to your hard thing alone. You are filled with the power of God for whom nothing is impossible. If you are here this morning and you are looking at whatever your life circumstances are right now, and you are like, I cannot do this, you are right. You can't on your own, in your own power, in your own giftings, in your own abilities, they are not enough. But with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you and God's glory cloud surrounding you, nothing is impossible. That is not preacher speak. That is truth. So if you're like, I, I, I cannot face this illness. On your own, you can't. But with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you and God's power surrounding you, nothing is impossible for you. I cannot, I do not know how I'm going to make it through the breakdown of this relationship. On your own, you probably won't make it. Maybe you will. That's, I don't mean to be like, I don't know. I can't tell you this. With the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you and God's, God's power surrounding you, nothing is impossible for you. If you're like, I, I can't stay in this job. I can't, I can't make this move that God is calling me to make. I can't stay in this place that I'm dying to get out of. I can't can't go to this place that God is calling me to, and I know he is, but I don't wanna go there. On your own, you probably can't. But with the Holy Spirit inside of you and the power of God surrounding you, nothing will be impossible. God calls unlikely people, praise him for it. God calls unlikely people to do hard things we can still praise him for that because he does not call us to do it alone. He is Emmanuel, he is God with us, and we go with his power inside of us and surrounding us, in front of us, behind us, above us, you name it. Nothing is impossible for God. Uh, Now, I wanna go home on this. Uh, There are some some in this uh, sanctuary this morning, some of you are younger. And for those of you younger folks, uh, I know because I was there one, one time, just like you, uh, there are many moments in your life right now where you think, when I grow up, I will never be like my parents. They say things and you're like, I will never say that to my children when I grow up. And I'm here to tell you something this morning. One day you will grow up and one day you will be talking to your own children, if God gives you children, or you'll be talking to someone at work, or you will be doing something else, and something will come out of your mouth, and you will stop. And with some sadness, (laughs) and also with some nostalgia, you will say, that is exactly what my mom would have said, or that is exactly what my dad would have said. And that happened for Jesus too. I love to imagine, uh, we don't get much about Jesus' life between Luke's, you know, here's the birth of Jesus, and then when his ministry starts as an adult, sometime around maybe when he was 30. I like to imagine, um, in the intervening years, as he was growing up, when Jesus' birthday would come around every year on Christmas. (laughs) I like to imagine that he would ask his mom, Mary, hey, tell me the story about when Gabriel came to visit you again. And I also like to imagine that he'd be like, Gabriel and I have known each other for like thousands of years. He's a great, (laughs) really great dude. And, and she would tell him the story that we just read in Luke 1, 26 through 38. And, and I think that story took root in the heart and soul of Jesus because about 33 years after this, uh, he was in a garden one night and he was about to go do the hardest thing that had ever been done in the history of the world the next day. Uh, and he didn't wanna do it. Again, the most unlikely candidate he was gonna go die on a cross for the sins of the world, the only one who has never sinned. God calls unlikely people and he calls them to do hard things. And as he was praying in that garden the night before he was gonna go to the cross, do you remember what he said to his father? Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. He said what Mary said. It's like, that's what my mom said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, according to your word. The good news of Advent is not that we get a bunch of presents on Christmas morning, hopefully, hopefully you do. The good news of Advent is that Jesus Christ came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves, because Jesus came and died on a cross and rose again, that means what happened for Mary can happen for every single person who bows their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because Jesus advented, you can have God's Holy Spirit inside of you and you can have the power of God surrounding you such that for you, nothing will be impossible. My hope and my prayer this Advent season for every one of us is that whatever it is you are walking through. Whatever your life circumstance is right out, whatever God might call you to that's unforeseen in this moment, that we all, with Mary and Jesus, might be able to say to God, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Because he calls unlikely people. He calls us to do hard things, but he gives us the power to do them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time and we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray as we um, move through this Christmas season, uh, I pray, God, that amidst all the joy and the busyness and trying to get presents for people and trying to schedule parties and all that stuff, God, I pray that you would allow us to pause and recognize what it is really about and it is that you came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And not only did you come, but one day you are coming again. And that because of that, we can live differently as we go through the life that you have put before us here. I pray that you would allow us to be a people like that. God, it is, it is not in our own strength and ability that we might be able to respond to the circumstances of our lives that we don't like, that we don't wanna be a part of, that we're not interested in doing. It is only by your power inside of us that we can say, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And I pray that you would give us that power. God, fill us with your spirit. Surround us with your power individually and as a body. Because we know that nothing is impossible for you. We don't know what you will do, but we know what you are capable of doing. And we praise you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.